Hello? Hey, it's a four-way. Is everybody on? Yeah, I'm here. What's up? Present. Oh my god, you're never gonna believe what I just heard. Bitch, we need to be in person for this one. I'm on my way. I'll grab the champagne. Perfect. See you guys in 10. Welcome back, toppers. I'm, I say this every week, but I'm very excited for today's episode, if we're being honest, because it's finally October. Honestly, for me, Halloween starts September 1st. Um, I know some people disagree with that, but they're wrong (laughs) because spooky season in my heart is all year round, but officially it's socially acceptable September 1st for me. It's the same as people who listen to Christmas music on November 1st. That don't completely agree with. I don't know. To each their own. You know what I mean? So if you are unaware, I do have a YouTube channel. So this may seem a little repetitive to you if you watch any of those videos because last month, like I said, September for me starts spooky season. So for the months of September and October on my YouTube channel, I'm talking about cases that inspired famous Hollywood movies. That being said, I'm very busy currently at the moment and love spooky season so much, I decided to roll it on over to the podcast and I don't want to say reuse because that sounds a little little lazy, but um, uh, inform another group of people about those same stories. So if you watch any of my YouTube videos from September, you probably already heard these stories. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. You can wait till next month. (laughs) for some fresh, fresh ideas. But if you have not watched those YouTube videos, these will be new for you. So today we are going to be talking about the serial killer who inspired the oh so famous movie Scream, the original one. Um, I don't, I don't know about all the spinoffs, but I know for sure the original one was inspired by this man. First of all, let's talk a little about the movie itself before we deep dive into the killer. Might I preface as well? Billy and Scream. I just did the chef's kiss thing you cannot see, but wow, beautiful man. Anyway, like I said, before we start talking about the case itself, let's go over the Scream movie facts really quick, just so we're all on the same page. If you haven't seen Scream, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Like, that's a classic. Why are you listening to me? Like, you have to go watch that. You have to. It's 10 out of 10. Recommend. Okay. So basically, the screen movie, there's this guy named Kevin Williamson who was, let's just say, in a slump with his acting and screenwriting career when suddenly in March 1994, he starts seeing these murders being broadcasted in the news. He becomes nothing short of obsessed with the stories of a drifter who terrorized the towns of Gainesville, Florida, murdering five college students in just over three days during August of 1990. He took the story the real story, and use it to inspire the screenplay that we all know as Scream. The film came out in 1996, the year I was born, and soon became very popular and re-inspired the horror film genre. So that's basically, I mean, I'm not going to explain the plot of the movie to you just because, just go watch it. (laughs) That's not the important part. Just go watch it, okay? So now, Now that we covered a little about the case, you know a little bit about the background, let's actually talk about the Gainesville Ripper, as he was known. We do know the identity of the actual Gainesville Ripper, thank God he was caught, but his pseudoname, I think that's the correct word, that might be the wrong word, who knows, was Gainesville Ripper. Okay, so into the story. The man behind the murder's name is Danny Rowling. He was born in... (laughs) Shreveport? 
Shreveport. Honestly, you know by now, I can't pronounce words. Just ignore it, okay? Shreveport, Louisiana on May 26, 1954, making him a, can we guess what his zodiac sign is? A Gemini! Shocker! <laughs> the Geminis are the crazy ones. Besides, Andrea, love ya, but your sign is crazy. His mother at the time was 19-year-old Claudia, and his father was a police officer named James. Now, James wasn't, mm, he wasn't nice. He never even wanted kids in the first place, to be clear, and that was very evident in the way that he treated them. He was a Korean War veteran who is believed to have suffered from a combination of PTSD and some other undiagnosed mental illness. I mean, we all have some type of mental illness, you know what I mean? But, like, you don't have to take it out and act like a garbage person. Like, do better. He was verbally and physically abusive towards his wife and two sons. Danny was only one year old when his father abused him for the first time. What a sicko. He was beaten because he wasn't crawling properly. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. When Kevin, Danny's younger brother, was born in 1955, the abuse just got worse. Claudia tried many times to escape the toxic marriage she was in, but each time she returned. When Danny failed the third grade for too many absences due to illness, Claudia had a nervous breakdown. Danny's school counselor described him as, quote, suffering from an inferiority complex with aggressive tendencies and poor impulse control, end quote. Um, honestly, that's a red flag for me. Like, they're starting young, aggressive tendencies, get that child in therapy. Anyway. Anyway. As a young boy and teen, he turned to art and music as a way to cope. He played guitar and sang hymn-like songs about the time his mother was committed to a hospital after she had slit her wrists. Hello? Get that child help, please. Somebody, somebody. It's a clear cry for help, okay? I know I don't have kids, but that's obvious. He then turned to drugs and alcohol, which worsened his already fragile mental state, clearly. It was during this time in his childhood that he said he developed multiple personalities as a sort of defense mechanism from his abusive reality after his attempts at suicide failed. At 14, the neighbors caught Danny peeping into their daughter's room. Of course, this meant his father would beat him for doing that. When he became old enough, he wanted to get out of his bad living situation he was in, so he decided to join the Air Force since the Navy wouldn't take him. However, that didn't last long for him when in 1972, he got kicked out after getting busted for drug possession. With nowhere to go, he went to go live for his grandfather, and for a little while, he finally had a stable environment where he was safe and enjoyed going to church. He ended up meeting a woman named Omather Halko, I believe who he married and had a daughter with. The two ended up coming to a quick end when he started displaying the same behaviors his father had when he was a child. Take a moment, um, pretend I just did a really well thought out segue. Um, I don't know how to go into this next <laughs> statement I'm about to tell you, so just pretend I said something very clever, okay? So Danny had an interest in voyeurism, which is, if you don't know, uh, someone who enjoys watching other people engaging in sexual activities, okay? After his divorce, he started having disturbing visions. He ended up raping a woman who resembled his ex-wife so much and killed a woman in a car accident the same year. He then embarked on several armed robberies in the South until he was arrested in 1979 in Jackson, Georgia. The 80s for him were basically the same, with him in and out of jail in Alabama and Mississippi for armed robbery. Through the 80s, when he was in between jail sentences, he spent his time traveling the country, stealing and occasionally forcing himself on women. That was a quote. Forcing himself on women. I really hate when they 
grazed by that like just say it he was raping women don't sugarcoat it that's what he was doing somehow in this time he managed to get a job at a restaurant but in november of 1989 he was fired i wonder why he doesn't seem like a very reliable human being you know what i mean it doesn't say why he was fired from the job but honestly like he doesn't seem like he was just a good person so i'm not shocked that same night after he was fired he broke into a home to murder 24 year old julie grissom grissom her eight-year-old nephew sean and her 55 year old father tom julie was found with bite marks and her body was arranged with her legs spread on the bed the following may danny got into one final argument with his father this time however ended very differently he pulled out a gun and shot his father james in the stomach and head shockingly james survived but lost the use of an eye and an ear. Danny then changed his identity with papers he stole after breaking into someone's house. He fled Shreveport, Shreveport, Shrevy, I think it's Shreveport, and took a bus to Sarasota, Florida to start a new life as Michael Kennedy Jr. Somehow, this man, still in the loose, a free bird, living his best goddamn life. Don't ask me how, no clue. In 1990, he set up a campsite in a wooded area behind the University of Florida to begin his murder spree as students began the fall semester. That makes it even worse to me. Like, honestly, go stay at a shitty motel. You're clearly a psychopath if you're camping out in the woods for fun. I, I cannot. August 24th, he slipped into the home of UF freshman Christina Powell and Sonia Larson. I think I think her name's pronounced Sonia, but it's S-O-N-J-A. I don't think it's Sonja. So I could be sounding really stupid right now, but I'm just going to call her Miss Larson, okay? Covering both of their mouths with duct tape before he bound their hands. He forced one of them to perform oral sex on him before he raped, stabbed, and killed her. He then returned to Miss Larson's dead body and raped her again. He went so far as to cut off the girl's nipples and keep one as a sick trophy. The next day, he made Santa Fe Community College student Krista Hoyt his next victim, much in the same way he murdered the other two women by raping her and cutting off her nipples. However, this time he left her severed head on a shelf to face her body that was propped up on the bed. What in the criminal minds is that? <laughs> on August 27th, he surfaced yet again at the home of two 23-year-old UF students, Manuel Toboada, Toboada, I don't know, I'm sorry, and Tracy Paulus. Paul, Pauls, Pauls, I think. Manuel was a former high school football player who was able to put up a good fight until, unfortunately, the two were overwhelmed and killed. Neither of them at this time were mutilated. Now, at this point, it's understood that everyone is freaking out and panicking over this man who is out there killing people. So they assembled a local task force to try to find answers. Somehow, Danny was able to skip town again. Like, how? The authorities soon zeroed in on a prime suspect, a UF student who briefly lived in the same complex as two of the victims and exhibited erratic behavior at one point getting arrested for hitting his grandmother. Who hits their grandma? What a sicko. Anyway, it was soon revealed that the student was battling acute manic depression and with zero evidence connecting him to the murders, the police were back at square one. I mean, it's kind of karma for hitting your grandma, but like to become a suspect in a murder? Jesus Christ. While all this was happening, the real killer they were looking for was already in jail. In September, Rowling robbed a Winn-Dixie grocery store at gunpoint in Ocala, in Ocala, Florida, 
and was arrested after crashing the getaway car. Honestly, seems like he was trying to get caught. He wasn't trying to stay under the radar or anything and he just broke in, robbed some place he didn't have to do. And then rule number one, don't crash the getaway car. What? Like, you deserve to get caught at that point. I mean, he already deserved to get caught for all the shit he was doing, but like you crashed the getaway car. You had one job, one job. Anyway, <sighs> it wasn't until early the following year when authorities used a tooth extracted from rolling to link him to the DNA evidence at the Gainesville crime scenes that he became a primary suspect. Even though he was already facing multiple life sentences for his many armed robberies, Rowling was formally charged with the murders of the five Gainesville students in June 1992. It was around this time he began talking to a journalist, Sandra London, who became his fiance and helped him put together the book, The Making of a Serial Killer. I never understand those, it's nine times, not even nine times out of ten, like, 9.99 times out of 10, it's a freaking woman who is like, how do you fall in love with someone you already knew did this shit? Like, I don't understand. I really don't. I don't get it. These people, and you see them in the courtrooms. Oh my god, like the person, like the girls who, um, oh my god, what was his name? The guy who carved a symbol in his hand. Oh my god, what is his name? Richard Ramirez, he had, like, a ton of women loving him in the courtroom. How? I don't get it, and I never will get it. Those women need help. Honestly, disgusting. I cannot. Mm -mm. Now, keep in mind, he did plead not guilty, but he still used his fellow inmate, Bobby Lewis, as his, like, a spokesperson, in a sense, to confess to the murders anyway. In February 1994, just before the beginning of his trial, He, out of the blue, changed his plea to guilty. To decide his sentence, jurors listened to testimony from his mom, who recounted the abuse Danny had endured by his father, and from a psychiatrist who described an alternate personality of Danny's named, can we all take a moment, um, to guess what his alternate personality name was. His name was Gemini. (laughs) You're a Gemini and your alternate personality's name is Gemini? Try a little harder who drove him to do the crimes. So he is basically saying that this alternate personality named Gemini was the one who made him do these crimes. I hate that. I think it gives people who actually have, oh my God, what's the correct term? I don't want to call it split personalities, but there's like a proper term for people who have multiple personality disorder. Is that the, is that the correct term? I don't know what the clinical term for that is, but you know what I'm talking about. Nine, like a lot of the time, those people are not violent. So, I hate when criminals try to, no, no, your alter ego, no, you didn't, no. Mm -mm. Of course, his other personality (laughs) was named Gemini. I can't, okay, moving on. I gotta get over it. Two other psychiatrists also testified that a severe personality disorder was in play, but said Danny still understood the magnitude of his crimes. The jury unanimously found him guilty of first degree murder on all five counts in late March and a month later, he was sentenced to death. Did he try to appeal? Yeah. Did he gain anything from those appeals? Of course not. He faced execution in Florida State Prison on October 25th, 2006. This is, um, I love this part. I don't love this part. This sounds horrible, but, like, I really find it intriguing to learn what inmates' last meals are, because given the choice, I don't know, what would I pick? I don't know what I would pick. 
I don't want to think about that. Like, I would never get myself to the point where I needed the last meal. But what would sound good? A lot of things would sound good, right? So when you get in the mind of a serial killer, sociopath, psychopath, whatever you want to call them, sometimes I'm like, that explains a lot. Like, their last meal can show that they're a psych. It shows that they're not in their right mind for them to pick that. You know what I mean? Anyway, this man, he had a buffet. (laughs) He decided to go all out for his last meal. So Rowling's last meal consisted of a lobster tail served with drawn butter, butterfly shrimp with cocktail sauce, a baked potato with sour cream and butter, strawberry cheesecake, and sweet tea. Jesus Christ, that's that's more elaborate than, no, that's so much. If I was the person taking that order, I'd be like, no, after one, you're done. You get to pick one thing. That's it. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> I get it's their last meal, but at the same time, do they really deserve it? Mm, no. <sighs> In his final moments, as 47 people, which is double the normal capacity for the viewing room, all crammed in to witness his death, to witness his execution. You imagine that? Double the amount of people when it comes to you die? It's a little... It's fitting, but it's kind of it's kind of harsh, but it's fitting. He deserved it. Uh, at this time, he sang a religious hymn with a refrain, quote, None greater than thee, O Lord, none greater than thee, end quote. His microphone was then cut off, ending his life and closing the case of the Gainesville Ripper. So that, ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between and outside all people listening that's the end of the story it's a quick one um that could be good or bad depending on the type of person you are you might like longer you might think that that was too long hearing my voice either way (laughs) it is what it is you know what I mean so like I said if you've already watched my YouTube channel you already heard the story if you have not watched my YouTube channel Thank you for sticking around for today's episode. So next week, we're going to be covering... I'll just tell you because it's not like it's a secret. So next week, we're going to be covering the case that inspired the movie Monster. Oh, her name's Eileen. We're going to be covering her story, which honestly, that movie was very interesting as well. So we'll get into that next week. But thank you so much for listening. If you have any suggestions of what you want me to talk about after this month ends and unfortunately spooky season comes to an end I don't want to talk about it it's making me upset if you have any suggestions let me know on either over the topics Instagram page or my personal Instagram page wherever you can get a hold of me you know what I mean (laughs) don't come knocking on my door or anything but within limits okay I'm rambling now enjoy October it's my favorite month I hope it's yours too thanks for listening Bye.